Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. Let's take our Bibles, shall we? We had a great time in the Word this morning, and we talked about that harvest on the front of the bulletin. If you are viewing right now, tap on and uh, get the, the digital, if you would, the digital version of our bulletin. All right, we're talking tonight about something that we all hold in common, something that we're not pleased with, but something which is real, something which is genuine, and that is that we are all sinners. We all start out that way. It says back in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. People may attempt self-righteousness, religiosity, through some kind of ritual or system, uh, and uh, they will attempt it, but will not succeed. And the reason is that we are polluted. We are sinners by nature. We inherited a sin nature from our dads, and it's been passed down from generation to generation. And the Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And you know, of course, that that is referring to Adam, the federal head of our race and the spiritual father of us all originally. Until we come to God through Christ, that's what we are. We're just sinners. Now the question is, have we been saved by grace? Like the song we just sang. Have we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior? Now we're not going to admit it most of the time. Starting from the time that we're very young, when we are asked about a certain infraction, what is our tendency to try to cover it up, to try to hide? When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They hid. That is the natural reaction. That's what a natural man or woman or boy or girl does when they sin. You know as well as I do. It may have happened to you. It might have happened with your kids, your grandkids. But they get into the cookie jar and the evidence is all over them, all over their face, especially if it's chocolate chip. And if you're going to steal a cookie, my preference would be to steal a chocolate chip cookie. All right, so it's going to be, the evidence is going to be there all over your face. And uh, when you ask them, did you take a cookie out of the cookie jar? Most of the time, they're going to say what? No. They're not going to fess up to it. They're not going to confess. They're going to try to hide the evidence if they possibly can. That's what human nature does. Human nature does not confess to it. When... James M. Gray wrote the words, and Daniel B. Towner wrote the music to only a sinner saved by grace. They embodied in this song the principles that I'm talking about tonight. They absolutely nailed it. They have painted a spiritual portrait of this preacher and everyone who is here under the sound of my voice and viewing by YouTube tonight. Uh, you know what I'm saying is absolutely true, that we are sinners just sinners by nature. If we've been saved, the only way to be saved is to come God's way. There's only one way, and that is to be saved by grace through faith. This is my story, my personal story. To God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Never get too far from the cross. Never get away from the fact that were it not for Jesus Christ intervening and crossing our paths and saving us, when we were not worthy of being saved, we would be lost in our sins still. A couple of my heroes preached a message based upon the concept that I'm going to bring a message to you tonight. 
One of them goes all the way back into the 19th century, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who pastored a great church in London and uh, died at a relatively early age in his 50s, preached a message entitled, I Have Sinned. And then when he was alive, he was my friend, one of my mentors, Dr. Jack Hiles, preached a message entitled, I Have Sinned. And there are a number of individuals in the Bible that we have identified who framed those words, who said those words, I have sinned. And in and of themselves, while they are true, they don't take care of the problem by themselves. Simply saying, I have sinned, is not enough. When your children disobey, when they break the rules, when they have violated the boundaries that you have given, and you force them to say, I was wrong, I sinned, I did a bad thing, that's only half the solution. Are you listening to me? If you don't get into their little hearts and deal with them on the basis of their heart's decision to do wrong and help them to begin to understand the meaning of repentance, then you're not going to do right by your children. You're going to teach them just to do what some of these characters in the Bible said when they said, I have sinned, I did wrong. They admitted to it, but there's not a repentant spirit. There's not a heart that is turned away from the sin. And that is wherein the problem lies tonight. I'm talking to you about something more than just the fact of the universality of our sin. We are all sinners. And if we've been saved by grace through faith, we can rejoice. But just sim simply saying, I was wrong, is not enough. Simply saying, I sinned, is not enough. We need to have a heart that is repentant. We need to have a heart that turns away from sin. And you won't hear most preachers ever talk about Bible repentance in those terms. They will talk about the consequences of sin, and I know very well the consequences of sin. You put your hand on a hot burner, you're going to burn your hand. You put your hand into the drawer where the sharp knives are, the blades are exposed, you're going to cut your finger. And you're going to have consequences. If you play with electricity, you might get electrocuted. If you play too near the water, you might drown. Any number of things can happen. I understand consequences, but this by far surpasses, it transcends anything that we might talk about in terms of consequences. I've been preaching for over 50 years. I've been around longer than that. I've heard every kind of preacher and evangelist get up and preach, and they will preach about the consequences of sin. And while there's nothing wrong with that, we need to hear more preaching after the fact about having a heart toward God, about turning one's heart, about being repentant when it comes to the matter of being a repeat offender. Having had a prison ministry, and having gone in and ministered to those that have committed every kind of heinous crime, it's amazing how many repeat offenders you find behind bars. Recidivism is one of the primary problems that we have with crime. And you can talk about changing up the system of jurisprudence and, and law enforcement. And you can talk about doing all kinds of things to try to alleviate the situation in our country with hundreds of thousands of people behind bars. But that's not going to solve it until you get to the heart, until you deal with the heart. All the programs in the world won't get it done. All of your programs, let's bring it down on a localized level, all your programs in your home, all your programs with your kids, with your grandkids, 
all of our programs with the kids that come into Sunday school and church here are not going to work unless we get to their heart. How many times have you heard the sad story? How many times have you seen the sad story of those kids who are children of pastors and deacons and missionaries and evangelists and where are they tonight? How many times have you seen it? And I don't want to emphasize that because I am so happy, I'm so glad for so many who have followed the Lord and are serving Him. But how many have not and why do they not? Because perhaps along the way they were forced to admit I have sinned. But then somebody didn't work on the heart. There wasn't some kind of program to deal with them so that they would come to repentance. I'm talking to you tonight about not one or two or three or four or five or as, as Charles Haddon Spurgeon preached on, I think, seven. And Dr. Hiles preached on, I think, uh, maybe eight. There are ten. There are ten names of individuals in the Bible who said they confessed to sinning. They said, I have sinned. Would you turn with me, please, to Exodus chapter 9. I'm going to give you the key before we leave here tonight. I'm not going to leave you without the keys. I want you to be able to deal with this and to be successful. Exodus chapter 9, we have the first case in verse number 27. Exodus chapter 9 and verse 27, And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Now you would almost think that Pharaoh was coming down the aisle making a life-changing decision. I mean, it's time to hoop and holler and jump and shout and say, well, praise the Lord. That guy with the strange-looking outfit with the funny-looking goatee and the thing on his head and, and the, the funny-looking uh, way he's dressed and, and all those people with their strange ways, why, he's coming down the aisle. Think about that. Isn't it amazing? But I want you to know that Pharaoh was no more saved than the devil. Because even though he said, I have sinned, there absolutely was no repentance on his part. There was no change of heart. There was no change of direction. There was no change of life in his, in his thinking at all. He had seen hail fall and fire run along the ground. And he watched while his nation was being taken apart and destroyed piece by piece while just a few miles away in the land of Goshen, the children of Israel weren't even harmed or touched. And so he says, Moses, Aaron, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. I want us to consider tonight what's missing here. And I want us tonight to consider what might be missing in the way that we conduct our families. I want us to consider tonight what might be missing in how we conduct our ministries. Because just saying, you know, you've seen it so many times, say you're sorry, and they dig their toe in the carpet and they go back and forth and say, sorry. Nothing has happened. Nothing has happened. What has happened is the momentary discomfort on my part as dad or grandpa has been assuaged for just, just for a moment. See, got him to say he was sorry. See that? Got him to say he was sorry. But though I'm not a betting man, I would wager 
if I were. That that spirit, that that heart has not been affected any more than Pharaoh's heart was. Hey, listen to me tonight. How many of you are getting the message? Say amen. You see where I'm coming in? I'm coming in loud and clear. This is not a popular message because preachers preach on consequences and preachers preach on judgment. But not too many preachers preach on a changed heart that leads to a changed life. And that's what's missing. I have sinned. Out of the ten that I'm going to share with you, six started out and ended up in darkness. Four, for the grace of God, by the grace of God, and for the testimony of what I'm preaching tonight, ended up in light. But there is a key to this, and I'm going to give it to you before I finish tonight. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, uh, tonight, for me to be uh, clear in this preaching, it's going to require the filling of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I've asked you before and I ask you now, for that fullness, for that guidance, for that direction. And not only, Lord, that you would fill me, but that you would anoint the ears and the hearts of every person who is listening, everyone who is viewing. Help them to take this in, to take it to heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. How many of us want to do it God's way? Amen. But how many of us along the way take a shortcut? A shortcut. It was Bob Jones Sr. many, many years ago who used to say there is no shortcut to the will of God. There is no shortcut to doing right. And if there's not a change of mind and heart and attitude and direction, then anything that we may have accomplished will only be in a judicial sense, but there will be no life change. We have Pharaoh saying, I have sinned. But the Bible says that his heart was hardened and he is the type of every lost sinner who says, yeah, I was wrong, yeah, I was wrong. If we were to gather together this group of individuals from the Bible, from different eras of time, different locations, and put them in one room, we would have a testimony meeting. And let's do it tonight. So the first one to testify is the ruler of the most powerful nation on earth at the time. He had so much to gain and so much to lose. But what he lost was so great. Because while he said, I have sinned, he is the one who in the waters of the Red Sea found out that there was somebody more powerful than he. And I want to tell you tonight that you can say all day long in a self-deprecating way how bad you are, how much you have done wrong. But if in fact you are leading the charge and you're there with the chariots and you've got them, you've got them in your sights and you're ready just to take I mean, just to take them back, and all of a sudden down come crashing the waves of the Red Sea. Judgment. Judgment. The next time we find a character in the Bible saying, I have sinned, it is none other than a compromising evangelist, a compromising preacher. His name was Balaam, and over in the 22nd chapter of the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 22, They are trying to bribe him to come and curse God's people. And they're upping the ante. And finally, he does something he should not have done. He gets on his mule and he starts riding. And as he is on his way to find out just how much they're going to flatter him with all the things they're promising him, he has an encounter. He can't see the angel, but the, 
but the, but the donkey can see. And the donkey speaks. And the craziest thing happens. Balaam has a conversation with the donkey. And the donkey made more sense than the preacher did in this case. This compromiser was absolutely out of God's will. And eventually he ends up and he dies that way. Starts out and ends in darkness. And when he said, I have sinned. Because the angel is standing there. The angel is ready to take his life. He says, I have sinned. It doesn't change the ultimate course of his life. And he dies just like an unsaved man. We don't know his exact spiritual condition. But he started out and ended up in darkness because he didn't do what we're going to say at the end. He didn't take the key that I'm going to give you. Number three occurrence is over in the book of Joshua. Now let's fast forward. They've wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. They've gone into the land. They've crossed over Jordan. And Joshua is leading them. And they go into Jericho. And they have been told, don't take anything. Don't take anything. It's all cursed. But there's a fellow by the name of Achan. And Joshua, he goes in and he takes a Babylonian garment. He takes a wedge uh, of, and, and money, the equivalent of money. And he hides it in the ground under his tent. And as the people go up to battle against a little burg called Ai and lose the battle horribly, and Joshua falls on his face and God says, get off of your face, get off of the ground. You've got, you got work to do. There is somebody, somebody has violated, somebody has done wrong, and you're going to find out. And so they narrowed it down by tribe, finally to the family. Now here's what I want you to see about Achan. We don't know anything about his spiritual condition. We know what he did. We know that he was told not to take it, and he saw, and he was, he was tempted, and he took it, he stole it, he hid it, he hid what he had sinfully taken, and people died because of it. And now, as he stands in judgment, he confesses and he says, yes, I have sinned. In Joshua 7 and verse number 20, and Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, look at that for emphasis, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. He became eloquent. He began speaking and confessing. And you'd say, well, listen, he ought to get some extra points because he spoke it so well. That has absolutely nothing to do with it, as you're going to see in just a few moments. He was disobedient. He was among others who were going to inherit great things, but he would not. His family would not. He cursed his family, and they all died because of his sin. They were stoned, and that was the end of Achan and his family. i got to tell every person tonight who is listening to what I'm saying as I'm preaching that one of the worst things that we can do on this earth is be a family leader who is unworthy, who is disobedient. If God has called us to be the example, to be the leader, and uh, to direct our family in the things of God, and we don't do it, if we fail in our example, if we fail to follow the Lord, then we're just like Achan. And when we're called on the carpet, and we say, I have sinned, that may not be enough. And you may be eloquent, and you may expound upon it a little bit further, and say thus and thus, like he did. And guess what? It didn't do any good as far as the ultimate outcome. He and his family died. I have sinned. Quite a, quite a testimony service.
from Pharaoh and Balaam and Achan. All darkness. All darkness. A young man who stood head and shoulders above everybody else, who was chosen out of the tribe of Benjamin to become the first king of Israel, is our next one to testify and to say, I have sinned. We find it over in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And you know, of course, the occasion there in 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And verse 24 says, And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Why, he did something he was not supposed to do. He definitely disobeyed the Lord. And it was not only once that he disobeyed the Lord. He, he spared Agag and the best of the livestock that were supposed to be destroyed. He offered a sacrifice, intruding into the office of priest. And so he sinned on more than one occasion. And then when, uh, <clears throat> when he was in a cave and David, who would be the next king, had the opportunity to take his life and did not, he once again said, I have sinned. So not once, but several times, Saul said, I have sinned. But it didn't do any good. This man got so far from God that he couldn't hear from the Lord. And he went to the witch at Endor. And there, of course, that encounter resulted in the prophecy of his own death. And he and his sons were killed. And his beheaded body was nailed to the wall. And his head was placed in the temple of Dagon. And what a horrible, inauspicious way for his life to end. He had started out, done well at the beginning, and then immediately went downhill. And his admission, I have sinned, in no way cleared his situation. Just like the individual, just like the prisoner behind bars, who says, oh yeah, I did it, I did the crime, and I'm doing the time. Just like your kids or grandkids, just like the ones that you deal with in the youth group or Sunday school in the bus ministry, who said, yeah, I'm the one who did it, I did wrong. That is a start, but that is not all of it. It's not just a start, it's the heart that needs to be dealt with. We move on. I've mentioned David already. Now, he surpasses them all. For Even though David had a heart toward God, David sinned. And he sinned grievously in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let's go there. 2 Samuel chapter 12. I want to show you the circumstances under which this came to light. As you know... He was home when he should have been out at battle. And he was watching as Bathsheba, another man's wife, was taking a bath and he was tempted and he called for her and they committed sin. And then he tried to cover it and then he put uh, brave Uriah in the front of the battle so that he would pitch and die in the dust for his king, never knowing that there had been sin between his wife and the king that he was dying for. We know what the Bible says about this. 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Ah, finally some good news in the message. Praise the Lord. David had a moral problem, but far worse than that. 
he was out of fellowship with his God. And that always precedes this sort of thing. I have sinned, said David. And he tried to cover it. And then he was found out. It was in a preacher's meeting. One of my mentors said, uh, there was the presidential prayer breakfast and Nathan was the featured speaker and he got up to preach. And when he got up to preach, he turned around and pointed that bony finger at King David and said, Thou art the man! It didn't exactly happen that way, but putting it in a modern uh, setting, we, can, we could see how something like that could happen. But can you ever imagine anybody at a presidential prayer breakfast pointing their finger at the head of state and saying, Thou art the man? Oh, you can't. When Billy Sunday was preaching, he would, he would call down sin in high places. When Sam Jones was preaching across this country and people were turning to God and the kind of revivals they had then were that when you preached, Sin City would close down. You know, nowadays you preach and probably what happens is the guy that owns and runs the bar decides to put up a track rack in his bar. And business goes on as usual. That's not revival. But in those days, they would turn bars into places of preaching and places of revival. And, and uh, those men were not afraid to call down sin when there was sin. And here Nathan was not afraid. Though David was his friend. In fact, David named one of his sons after Nathan the prophet. Nathan said, Thou art the man. And David confessed to it. I want you to turn with me to the book of Psalms. This is a place where we always used to take our kids in Christian school when there was some grievous offense. And we took them there where it says in Psalm 51, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, God, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. And the rest of it is all very good and you read it when you get home. But what do you notice that's different about the first four who started out and ended in darkness and this number five, David, who said, I have sinned. And the difference is that there was a change that took place. There was a transformation. He didn't live a perfect life. He numbered the people after this. We know he had his challenges, but he had a heart for God, a, a heart after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart. Later on, David found out what it means, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Because all that sin followed him, the consequences thereof. And I'm not going to go into it, but every time one of his kids was involved in something and there was some horrific thing that happened or there was a loss of life, I'm sure he could... He could hear the voice of the Lord. David, David, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You talk about conscience. You talk about being reminded of consequences. There was a man who lived every day right before his own eyes. He could see the consequences of his own sin. And maybe you are in that situation. 
But David did something different, something that Pharaoh did not think to do, that Balaam did not think to do, that Achan did not or could not do, that Saul did not do. David repented. David had a change of heart. David had a change of direction. I'm saying to you tonight, I'm not trying to uh, split hairs over the matter of repentance. It's kind of like a lot of other things. Some people may not be able to define it, but I know it when I see it. How about you? I know repentance when I see it. A changed life. A heart that responds to God. The reason David got in that mess was because his heart was not right. The reason he got out of that mess was because by the grace of God he got right. David had just been deposed temporarily by his wicked son Absalom. David was not the best father, by the way. That kid should have gotten some more discipline along the way. But he has deposed his dad, and on his way out of town, David is cursed by a fellow by the name of Shimei. And Shimei throws dust in the air and rocks at retreating David. We read about it in 2 Samuel. And when the tables finally turn, and Absalom is caught in a thicket, and his steed goes out from under him, and he's hanging there by his hair. And they come along, and they put darts through his heart. They killed him. David inquired as to the outcome. And he was brokenhearted, and he wept. <clears throat> and Shimei had to eat crow. And he came and he begged for his life, and for a time he was fine. But what he said was, I have sinned. Now his life shows after this that he did not experience a genuine repentance. But he knew. He knew that judgment was coming because uh, even though the political, uh, the political climate had changed, had shifted, and now David was back on the throne, he knew that he had to make some amends. And there are some today, perhaps in the sound of my voice, some who are listening to me preach, and they say, I'm going to make amends because it's just not going to be comfortable if I don't. I've got to fix this because it's just not right the way it is. Well, you fix it, but when you fix it, make sure you have a change of heart. Make sure that you repent. Make sure that it is a life-changing experience. And while I am not so good theologically at defining every single aspect of repentance, once again, I know it when I see it. Let's back up. Oldest book in the Bible. Not Genesis, though Genesis covers those beginning events. But the book of Job, the book of Job that goes back into antiquity. In Job and chapter number 7, Job chapter 7. You're right next door there in Psalms. Job chapter 7 and verse 20. Here we have a businessman. We have a very successful man who has accomplished so much in his life. He's got family, he's got, he's got prestige, he's got wealth, and he loses it all. 
and he's got a wife who says, curse God and die. No, he didn't curse God and he did not die. He did realize that he had been taken by the same thing that you and I would experience with the success and the good blessings of God in our life. Sometimes we just get to, we get to be a fat cat. We get, get to riding kind of high. We're, uh, we're uh, kind of sitting in that favored seat, so to speak. The catbird seat, they call it. And we've got things just the way we want them. And everything's just as comfortable. You know what? The Lord has a way of making us uncomfortable. He's got a way of, a, of bringing us back to reality. And Job, who was a successful businessman, lost it all, at least temporarily. And it says in Job chapter 7 and verse 20, I have sinned, what shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men? Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee, so that I am a burden to myself? He was hurting so badly, he confessed to the fact that he was a sinner. But it didn't get fixed in chapter 7. I want you to go 35 chapters later over to Job chapter 42. It took 35 more chapters, all right? Job 42 and verse number 6. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And guess what? God turns the captivity of Job. And so, in this testimony meeting, Pharaoh starts out in darkness, ends up in darkness. Balaam starts out in darkness, ends up in darkness. Achan starts out in darkness, ends up in darkness. Saul starts out in darkness, ends up in darkness. Shimei, we have to assume, the same. Here we have them. What were they missing? They were missing what David discovered. They were missing what Job discovered. They were missing a change of heart, a change of direction. They were missing repentance. Wow. Preacher, I have sinned. Micah says those words, I have sinned, and he is reflecting the people. So often the prophet would say what the people were doing. I have sinned. I have sinned. As a pastor... As a leader in that respect, as a father, as a leader, you in your position, whatever it may be, you may have to say, as the person that's in, in a place of leadership, I have sinned. I have sinned because the people have sinned. If the church is in a state of disobedience and the pastor doesn't preach about the state of disobedience, then he is guilty. The responsibility is on His head. It lies at His feet. He's the one who is going to have to say, I have sinned. If mom or dad or the person in responsibility, in authority, uh, doesn't take care of what's going on at home, like Eli, who failed to discipline his sons, like so many others that we read about in the Bible who failed to take care of business at home, guess what? They're going to have to pay the consequences thereof. Micah said, I have sinned. It was a reflection of those that he represented. Over in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. You know that we have three parables about lost things. We have the parable, of course, of the lost sheep. We have the parable of the lost coin. We have the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. 
in Luke chapter 15, we understand that there was willful and deliberate sin. The prodigal son went off and he spent that living that was given to him and he realized his situation. It was a deficit situation. He said, my dad's servants are getting along better than I am. I'm eating hog food here. Jewish boy, think about that, eating hog food. He said, I will go to my father. I'll, I'll be a servant. And so he headed back. He headed back. When he started back, that's the beginning of repentance. He had had a change of heart, a change of mind, and now his direction was taking him home. And when he came to the end of the lane, why, his dad was watching for him. The dad is a picture, a type of God himself, and God is watching for us to come on home. Now, at this point, the dad runs to him and embraces him, and God runs and embraces those who will come in repentance, those that have a desire, have a heart for God. And so there in Luke 15 and verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. He didn't just intend to do it. He goes ahead and follows through. Look at verse 21. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. He didn't just say he was going to do it. He did it. And in thy sight I am no more worthy to be called thy son. He was ready to become a slave, an indentured servant to his father. And his father said, it's not going to be that way. He says, put on that robe. Take that ring. Put on that ring. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. And that's what God does for you and for me when we repent. There's one more sad case. Started out, ended in darkness. We find it, of course, in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. I've got to add this word of warning. I would be remiss if I preached a message tonight on repentance and I didn't talk about people that hung out like they're saved, hung out like they're church members, hung out like they're professing believers, but they're not really saved. In Matthew chapter 27, we have in verse number 4, the words of Judas Iscariot, who is saying now with remorse, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See that thou to that. Judas, who betrayed who sold Jesus Christ for the price of a slave. Said he had betrayed innocent blood. He had remorse. And yet he went out and hung himself. And the Bible says that he went to his own place. This man who committed suicide did not go to hell because he committed suicide. He went to hell because he never knew the Lord. Traveled with him for over three years. Kept the bag. Was the treasurer. Did not know God. There was no repentance. No spirit of repentance, even though there was sorrow, there was no repentance, even though there was remorse, even though he said, I have sinned, there was no repentance. Now let me give you the key. I'll tell you first of all what the key is not. The key is not how bad you have sinned. There are people who figure it both ways. They say, well, uh, I've, I've sinned so bad, and they want to give you a testimony, and they want to glorify their sin, and they want to get right down in the slop again every time there's a testimony meeting, and they want to give you all the wicked, vicious, rotten details of your sin out of the pit of hell. And then there are those people who say, I'm just not worthy, I could never be saved, God could never forgive me. If God could not forgive you, then the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross was the greatest waste in human history. Now, I'm telling you, the key is not how bad you've sinned. 
All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And while some sins have greater consequences in this world, and some are viewed as being more distasteful than others, the truth of the matter is, all sin condemns us, and all sin put Jesus on the cross, and love is what held Him there, and He died for all our sins. The key is not how much and how bad sin we've committed. The key is not under what circumstances we were found out. I've had people tell me why so-and-so got caught, and then they supposedly repented. Why, if they had truly if they truly repented, they would have repented before they got caught. And I would like to know what planet these people are from. Because that is not biblical. Many times people get caught in their sin. Many times they get exposed. And somebody says, well, see, that's the devil. No, 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 no. Whatever the devil had to do with their exposure, he, he wasn't in charge. God is sovereign. And when somebody gets found out in their sin, it's because God found them out, and He exposed them. And when they're exposed, it is not a matter of, well, they didn't come on their own first. Now, you want your kids, you want your grandkids, you want your youth group, you want your bus crowd, you want them to come and say, I was the one that took it. I was the one that broke it. I was the one that did wrong. And I hope that they do. And when they do, you can say, glory to God, that's wonderful. But for you to expect it every time, and for that to be a qualification of true repentance, you are mistaken. Well, they didn't come first. They didn't, they didn't tell us before we found out. You just happened to find out. God let you find out. Guess what? The exposure took place. Now there's something else involved. The key is not how bad the sin is. The key is not under what circumstances was it discovered. The key is not how tearfully and how loud it is confessed. I remember an evangelist in the late 1980s who on international television with tears streaming down his face, he said, I have sinned, only to do it again a few years later. You say, did he mean business? I don't have any idea. I can't get in his heart. I don't know. But as far as where his feet went, they went there again. That's the point. That's the point. Did he mean it the first time? Did he mean it the second time? I don't have any idea. But I know this. The only way that we can look at this thing scripturally is that it's not how loud we cry and how tearful we are. Repeat offenders. Remember, prison. There's all kinds of recidivists. No, here's the key. It's in Proverbs 28. Turn there with me, please. Now, this is one that every boy and girl ought to memorize. Our kids in the Christian school, we were 31 years in Christian education, weren't we, sweetie? And all of our kids had to memorize this. Proverbs 28 and verse 13. Proverbs 28 and verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth, here it is, and what? Forsaketh. And what? Forsaken, I, can't, I want you to say it loudly so they can hear you down the street. If you confess and what? Forsake. Forsake them. Forsake them. Forsake them. Then shall they have. Then shall you have. Then shall I have 
mercy. That's the key. I have sinned. Got kind of crowded in that testimony room. Pharaoh, Balaam, Achan, Saul, David, Shimei, Job, Micah, the prodigal son, and Judas. There may be more, but those are the ones I researched. And I'm telling you tonight, the difference between those who ended up in darkness and those who ended up in light was that they confessed and forsook. Confess and forsake. Don't hold it over people's head when they want to get right with God or with you. Accept it at face value. But if they want to truly be blessed by God, they will mean it in their heart and they will have a heart change. They will have a change of direction that comes from that and that is what's called Bible repentance. I believe it and without repentance there is no salvation. Without repentance there is no victory in the Christian life. When I got saved, I repented. I turned around in my mind and my heart and my direction by the grace of God. It wasn't a work on my part. It wasn't my effort. It's what God did through in and through me and praise the Lord. From that moment until this, now many, many years later, there's a spirit of repentance within me. And when I sin, and I do, just like you, when you sin, that spirit of repentance becomes operative. And I want to run to the Lord. I want to, I want to head back out of the hog pen. The worst place for a Christian, somebody who knows they're on their way to heaven, somebody who's been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ is to be in a hog pen situation and you realize that God is so good and you get up out of that hog pen and the spirit of repentance is operative within you because it's there. That spirit of repentance is there and you start back and you say, I have sinned and when I get back, I'm going to tell Dad I've sinned and you head down the lane and God sees you and God runs to you. You say, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'll be your slave. And God says, no, 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 no. Put the robe on him. Put the ring on his finger. Why? Because it's genuine. Because it's real. It's not phony. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes tonight? Every head bowed. Every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in that message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Come on. Something spoke to my heart. Well, what are we going to do about it, folks? Now, we're offline. We're, ju we're just us right here, right now. And right now, they're being offered the plan of salvation. And I'm going to offer it to you in just a minute. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means that we realize we can't save ourselves and we need to be saved. And only by the grace of God can we be saved by receiving the finished work of Jesus Christ in our behalf. If you've never done that, or if you're not sure that you've done that, right now from your heart, I want you to pray to God. Something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, slip your hand up high right now. Anybody